All right, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's uh, good to preach God's Word with you and to be with you all on this beautiful morning and to bring God's Word uh, after a, a little bit of a gap and being on vacation. Uh, my privilege always uh, to be with you. Um, let's uh, turn our Bibles to James chapter 4. We're picking up uh, again our series on James. We had a short break last week, but we'll be picking up James chapter 4 and verses 13 and following. I'm going to read the whole passage for us. James chapter 4, verses 13 to chapter 5, verse 6. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Praise God for his word. So we're coming to the end of 2020, less than a month left. And so what I've been seeing on social media is a lot of little memes, graphics with these captions, and usually it's, you know, left side and right or top and bottom. And one side says, my plans. And the other side says, 2020. And the idea is to get you to think about, you know, how this year took everyone by surprise and really turned your plans and your world upside down. You know, there's one, my plans is a picture of a guy carrying a big pot of curry, and he's neat and nice, and then it's 2020, he's on the ground, and the curry has fallen down, and all over him, and it's a mess. And, and several other humorous pictures. One that I thought was particularly interesting and humorous was pastors in January 2020, you know, neat and nice, and then pastors in December 2020, and the guy looks like he's going to die, you know. It has been a surprising year, hasn't it? And we can look back at it and laugh. But some things have been not so funny. For some of us, we started January. I mean, I want you to think back, back to January. And all your plans for this year. All your hopes for this year. Everything that you thought come December, I would have accomplished and done. And for many of us, it was gone like that. 
Things can change in a heartbeat and put a stop to our plans. And woe to us if we live in self-confidence and in arrogance thinking that our plans are ultimate. This year has been a lesson for us. Well, that theme is what James is addressing in today's passage. He's addressing the theme of self-confidence, of presumption, of banking on the future, banking on ourselves. You know, if we remember to a couple of weeks ago, James has already begun to raise the temperature in his letter, in his writing. He has begun to turn up the heat. He has said things like, you know, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to sorrow. Let your joy be turned to gloom. And in today's passage, he continues this prophetic tone of rebuke, calling people to humble themselves before the Lord. James speaks to two different groups of people in today's text. And in each section, you can see he clearly introduces each rebuke, each section with the phrase, come now. You see that in chapter 4, verse 13, come now, and again in chapter 5 and verse 1, come now. And the theme that unites both these paragraphs is that of arrogance and self-centered living. What's common to both these groups that James speaks to, and it's, it's two different groups, what's common to them is that they live without thinking about God or eternity. Brothers and sisters, as, as we look at this text, I pray that we would flee from arrogance. That we would see our own frailty and transience in this world. And that we would humble ourselves under the sovereign and mighty hand of our great God. So from these two rebukes, James's two rebukes to these two different groups... There are two lessons for us today concerning arrogance and self-centered living. Right? Two lessons. The first one is, don't make plans in arrogance. Very simple. Don't make plans in arrogance. This is chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Look again at verse 13. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. James is speaking here first to those who make big plans. Let's move to that city. Let's uh, carry on a business, or start this business, or take that job and move over there. Let's make some money. I think that here he's speaking to believers. I mean, when you, we look at uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, I'm going to show you, I think James is speaking there to non-Christians. Uh, but here I think he is speaking to Christians. Uh, I think that's obvious from verses 15 to 17, where he gives them a correction and tells them how they ought to speak and how they ought to think and calls them to repentance for sin. I think James here is offering some fatherly correction, some stern fatherly correction to believers who have gone a bit off track. So these Christians are making big plans for big profits, but they've left God and His plan out of their plans. As one commentator says, 
These people are self-confident planners. They decide where they will go, when they will go, and how long they will stay. Moreover, they are quite sure about the outcome of all these plans. They will make money. And you know, James is speaking here in the ancient world, where actually, you know, moving from one place to another or traveling, migrating in these ways uh, to be a merchant, it was quite challenging. It wasn't that easy to relocate for business. How much more is this applicable in today's globalized world, in today's globalized economy? How much more are these words relevant for us in an expat city like Abu Dhabi? How much has this been our mindset, beloved brothers and sisters? How many of us made plans at some point in our life or have continued to plan? Let's go to the UAE. I'm going to, go to move to the UAE, take the job there. I'm going to spend exactly this number of years one year or three years or six years, I always get amazed when you know, people who move here and they always have very clearly lined up, I'm going to be for this many years. Sometimes people say, I'm only here for one year and then I laugh. <laughs> How many of us have made plans like that and have been very certain about our plans? I just want to be clear, James is not condemning making plans. Right? Biblically, it's a good thing to plan. It's all right to make plans. James is also not condemning making a profit. Biblically, there's nothing wrong in being wise, in, in seeking to save for the future, in making a profit in your business. That's not the issue that James is addressing here. The issue is not plans nor profits. The problem is presumption. Not plans, not profits, but presumption. What is presumption? It's the self-confident mindset of making plans and setting your heart on a profit, but leaving God out of the equation. That's presumption. Where you make plans in entire self-confidence without regard for what the Lord may have planned. Why is that kind of mindset, the mindset of presumption, arrogant. James gives us two reasons. First, it is arrogant because presumption does not recognize our transience. Does not recognize our transience. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So they're saying, I'm going to go into this town. I'm going to make this, live there for so many years. I'm going to make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, in Abu Dhabi, we are very uh, familiar with the concept of transience. Right? When I moved here to uh, serve at this church, I remember many people telling me, ECC, this is a transient church because we live in a transient environment. People come here for a little while and then people go. Here today, gone tomorrow. Brothers and sisters, that's not just Abu Dhabi. That's life. We're all just here for a little while on this earth. Here today, gone tomorrow. 
We're all just a, a mist, a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes. Think about this. I was driving this morning. I said, perfect. Here's the fog. The Abu Dhabi fog that shows up without fail every December. And it can be a really foggy morning, challenging to drive. You can't even see the stoplight ahead. But I bet you go out later today, and if the sun is shining, what's happened to all that fog? Gone. No trace of it. Disappeared. Just vanished. Or you think about, you know, the National Day celebrations. I'm sure many of you uh, were very, very wise and stayed home and watched it online. But those fireworks that created so much smoke just a few days ago. Where's all that smoke now? Blown away. Gone. Disappeared. Friends, that's what life is like. That's what our life is in this world. Just a fog that is there for a little while and then disappears with the sunrise. Just a smoke that can be blown away by the wind. That's what you and I are in this world. As one person said, illness, accidental death, or the return of Christ could cut short our lives just as quickly as the morning sun dissipates the mist or as a shift in wind direction blows away smoke. One phone call, one text message could change all your plans in an instant. Presumptuous planning arrogantly fails to see our transience. And then secondly, why is presumptuous planning arrogant? Presumption fails to recognize God's sovereignty. Presumption fails to recognize God's sovereignty. Look at verses 15 and 16. James says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. See, verse 16 tells us there's a, there's a kind of pride and a kind of arrogance in thinking that we have it all worked out. When we speak in these ways presumptuously, it's a reflection of a pride that shows itself in boasting. The world around us begins to influence us and we begin to think and to feel and to act as though we are in control of the duration and the direction of our lives. But brothers and sisters, God is sovereign. We are not. He is sovereign over all of life. He rules over everything in this world and especially over the lives of us, His children. When we come to Jesus, He becomes the Lord of all things in our lives. He is Lord of our lives, not just in salvation, in religious matters, but in all things. Our time, our vocation, our possessions, our plans, all belong to the Lord. And He has the right to change our plans, and He often does. Sometimes I fear that we keep God only reserved 
to Friday, Friday mornings. Not even Friday afternoons, just Friday mornings. And then Sunday to Thursday all belongs to me. And Saturday is especially mine. You know, no one can come. For, for some of us here in the UAE, now even Fridays are mine. God takes priority, uh, uh, our own plans take priority over the Lord and over His church. No, brothers and sisters, all of our lives, Sunday to Sunday, January to December, year to year, birth to death, belong to the Lord. And so we need to learn not to have a mindset that says, I will, but instead a mindset that says, if the Lord wills. We need to develop an if the Lord wills mentality and move away from an I will mentality. We need to be willing to hold our plans loosely. Recognize that God may not work out all the details. Learn to say, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. Even when things take a difficult turn. You know, I think of one of our dear members, our brother uh, Tamarat from Ethiopia. You know, he worked for Etihad. And with the change of circumstances this year, all of a sudden their family has had to relocate back home, back to Ethiopia. And he was sitting with me in my office a week ago. And so humble, so sincere before the Lord. And he said, yeah, this, is a, this was a surprising turn of events, but... I know my life, my family's life, we're all in the hands of the Lord, and I trust Him. That's the mindset that we should have. Of course, 2020 has been a difficult year, hasn't it? For many of us, for many of us, many of you, one of the most difficult years of our lives. And we have no guarantee that 2021 is going to be any different. I can't promise you anything better. It might be even worse. And in fact, we look back at this past year and everything that it's brought, and, and actually we should embrace all of this as the Lord so kindly in His grace teaching us to say, Thy will be done. And, and it's not just in our words. Right? This is not some magic formula we should use. Right? Sometimes we think uh, just verbalizing this makes us sound very pious or religious. Oh, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing. You know? We say, God willing. Or we say, Dio volente, you know, even if you know some Latin. Maybe you say, Inshallah, I don't know. We're not just using pious words, my friends. That's not what James wants us to have here. He wants our attitudes to be reshaped. Our worldview. Make plans, but hold all your plans loosely. And evaluate all your plans from a biblical perspective. That's what James is calling us to. Recognize our transience, recognize God's sovereignty, and be humble in planning. So we need to avoid arrogant planning. And, and this is what, by the way, explains this mysterious little verse, verse 17. Right? A lot of commentators are debated. They say, James suddenly changed the topic and he brought in this verse, verse 17. Out of nowhere, let me read it. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. And they said, James, you know, suddenly goes off track here. How does that link to what he says before? Well, I think it links very well if you think about it. 
You know, there are different kinds of sin that we can commit in our lives. One set of sins are sins of commission. I've talked about this before. Sins of commission are when God's law forbids something, right, or tells you not to do something, and then you go ahead and do it. But there are also sins of omission. Sins of omission are the sins in which God's word tells you what you are to do and how you are to live. And yet you just ignore it and carry on. And when we live with a presumptuous mindset, when we are absorbed in self-centered planning, we are very prone to sins of omission. We can be so absorbed in our plans, in our goals, in our dreams and ambitions that we can fail to do what the Lord expects of us. So brothers and sisters, maybe this morning some of us, maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you through the book of James to repentance. We need to repent of arrogant planning and presumption. We need to repent of sins of omission in our lives. So that's James's first lesson for us today. Don't make arrogant plans. The, the second lesson comes from chapter 5 and verses 1 to 6. And here James is speaking to an entirely different group. He speaks to unrighteous and rich non-Christians here. So I showed you chapter 4 verses 13 to the end there are speaking to Christians who have gotten absorbed with themselves. But here in chapter 5, he's speaking to non-Christians. And the lesson for us here in these six verses is this. Don't envy the unrighteously wealthy. Don't envy the unrighteously wealthy. We see James begin again this new paragraph with the words, Come now. Come now. Because he's re getting ready to give a rebuke. The hammer blows are about to come. And he says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He says he's speaking to the rich. And he tells them that they ought to weep and howl. Now, why do I think that he's not speaking to believers here? Why do I think that, that he's speaking to non-Christians? Well, if you look at these six verses, what you'll notice is there's no exhortation to repent at all. There's no correction, fatherly correction of their thinking, where he says, instead, you ought to do this, just like he said before. He just pronounces outright condemnation, like a judge reading a sentence. Or it's like one of the Old Testament prophets when they pronounce condemnation and judgment on the wicked. And the words that he uses are strong. Weep and howl. This is speaking of an intense sobbing, an uncontrollable sobbing and wailing, howling. Because James is warning them of the doom that is coming when the Lord comes in judgment. So in these forceful six verses, what's the message for us as Christians? Well, James wants us to know that by hearing the miserable fate and the doom of those who are unrighteously rich, that we would realize not to envy them. Secondly, he wants us to see that when we suffer and we are afflicted at their hands, we know that God will ultimately avenge the wrongs that we suffer. When we are defrauded, exploited, 
we have one who is the righteous judge and will avenge every wrong done to us. And reading these words, we should also recognize the dangers of wealth, the hindrance that the love of money can prove to Christian discipleship and faithful living. Now again, a clarification. Right? A clarification. Like I said, the previous section, planning is not wrong. Self-centered, godless planning, arrogant planning is wrong. In the same way here, some people look at these verses and think, oh, it's rich, being rich is a sin. Or anyone who's wealthy, they're under God's condemnation. That's not necessarily the case. The Bible is filled with many examples of those who were righteous and yet well-to-do. No, what James is condemning here is not wealth, but the sinful attitude and the sinful use of wealth, the sinful pursuit of wealth. That's what is condemned. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And James tells us three ways, three ways that these rich people were sinful in their approach to wealth. First, their wealth was hoarded. Their wealth was hoarded. Look at verses 2 and 3. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up, you have hoarded treasure in the last days. You know, I spoke about our transience in this world. There's something that's even more transient than us and than our lives. It's our possessions. Our possessions are here today and will be gone tomorrow. And these rich folks were storing it up. They had such an excess. They have clothes which they never use, being eaten up by moths. They have gold and silver in such abundance that it's sitting somewhere and rotting. Rusting. They don't recognize the fleeting nature of our lives. Jesus has already warned us about this, hasn't he? Jesus has said, don't store up treasures on earth where thieves break in and steal and moth and rust destroy. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus has talked about the rich fool who built great barns and storehouses and made big plans for his wealth. And Jesus says, you fool, your life is required of you tonight and you don't even know. That's what, that's what these rich people are living like. They're storing it up in excess. Failing to see that we live in the last days. From the time of Jesus' crucifixion to, to the time of his coming is the period called the last days in the Bible. Jesus could return any moment. And we should all be busy storing up treasures in heaven. But these guys are entirely focused on life on earth. And in that there's a warning for us, dear brethren. Beware of the love of money. It can be a trap and a snare that takes our eyes away from heaven and focuses our eyes on things that will perish. They were sinful in their attitude to wealth because they were hoarding, hoarding up things. Second, they were sinful in their attitude to wealth because their wealth was selfish. Their wealth was Hoarded, their wealth was selfish. Look at verse 5. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. 
these people, their concern was entirely for themselves. They lived for their own pleasure. It's my life. It's now or never. A complete failure to acknowledge the needs or even the existence of others. You get the picture of, of the man that Jesus talked about, the story Jesus told of the rich man and Lazarus, where this rich man was clothed in purple and sitting every day and feasting sumptuously, while the poor man Lazarus, a leper, was lying, covered in sores, hungry and dying, struggling. And this rich man, not even moved, no concern, just fattening himself. Well, that's what these unrighteously rich people have done. They've fattened their own hearts with selfish pleasure. But guess what? All that fattening is just a preparation for the day of slaughter. When the Lord is coming and there will be bloodshed, their doom is coming. They're only getting fat to be slaughtered at the hands of the Lord, the righteous judge. So brothers and sisters, don't envy them. When you see those who are unrighteously living in wealth, don't covet what they have. Don't look at that and say, oh, what a wonderful life, if only I could have. No, no, no. James teaches us that they are preparing themselves for an awful fate at the hands of the Lord and judge. And he will judge. Because you see, there's a third way in which they were sinful in their use of wealth. And this is the worst of all. This is the worst of all. So their wealth was hoarded, their wealth was selfish. A third, their wealth was unjust. Look at verse 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And again at verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. These rich people had grown rich at the expense of others by exploiting the vulnerable laborers who were working for them. This was very common in the ancient world. And there were legal ways to do this. You know, these landowners, people who would be landowners and then employ workers and then put off giving them the wages, defraud them one way or the other using legal technicalities. It's not much different today, is it? There are so many ways that the poor are exploited, even today, even in our context. There are so many ways, even legal ways, to defraud others. You know, within employment law, keep it all by the book, but yet so unjust. Beloved brothers and sisters, I know many of you have faced this. Over the past three and a half years, I've, I've had so many conversations with a dear brother or sister in Christ whose wages were withheld unjustly, who has faced some kind of fraudulent exploitation. Dear saints, be comforted. God hears the cries of the laborer. God sees the injustice done 
to the poor. And he will judge justly. Be encouraged, dear saints, in your affliction. Draw near to the Lord. Notice what the text calls him. Verse 4 says, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What does it mean that he is the Lord of hosts? The hosts refer to the armies of the Lord. He is the Lord of armies. It, it, it's a way of saying that the Lord is holy and powerful and ready to judge. He will come and he will fight for his people. He is the coming judge, the coming king, who will bring comfort and relief for his dear people who are in affliction. We should look forward to his coming. And yet he will bring judgment on those who have lived wickedly. So we are here this morning recognizing our transience and recognizing that there is coming a day, could be today, could be the, before the end of the service, where the righteous judge, Lord of heaven and earth, will come in judgment and in salvation. Maybe you're here and you've trusted Christ. and He's your Lord. There's great comfort in that. There ought to be. But maybe you're here this morning and you've lived selfishly and unrighteously and wickedly on the earth. Maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to warn you, judgment is coming. At the same time, I want to call you that there is an escape from this judgment. Because you see, Jesus is coming a second time. And he has already come once. And in his first coming, he died on the cross. He was put to death on the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. Taking upon himself the judgment that must come upon those who have sinned against God. All of us are sinners. And yet Jesus has taken judgment upon himself for those who would believe in his name, for those who would repent of our self-centeredness, repent of our sin and trust in him. So if you're here and you've been living your life selfishly, I want to call you and plead with you. Flee from the judgment that is to come and come to Jesus in whom there is forgiveness of sins and who transforms our hearts and our lives to live not for ourselves, but to live for the Lord and for others. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, those of us who have lived our lives saying, I will, let's come to Him today and say, if the Lord wills. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, we thank You for these reminders of our transience, of Your sovereignty, of our need, need to be bowed low before you. For those who are afflicted, I pray you bring comfort. And for the rest of us, teach us, Lord, to number our days and to live in light of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.